Welcome to another Monster and Sea podcast. Mike Ferrari, along with the founder of Monster and Sea, the Grand Poobah, I like to call him, Troy Nebaker. Troy, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing wonderful today. Yeah? Yeah, very good. Weather's been turning. Well, much? sort of been turning. Sort of, I mean, yeah. we, had, we had summer in one day. It was like 85 degrees. Mm-hmm. And then we're back to kind of normal right. Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Well, it should yeah. be a nice Memorial Day weekend. So yeah. hopefully people get out and yeah. enjoy all the, I know the Northwest has to offer whatever part of the country yeah. uh, you're in. You know, um, go because you can. That's the name of our podcast, right? It is very yeah. much so. And yeah. we like to talk about getting after it. Yep. Life. Adventure. Everything that you want to do, do it while you can. Do it while you can. Make sure that you're using the health that you have right. to, uh, like you said, get after it. And the podcast brings us today to the woods of North Bend, Washington. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's <laughs> we're, fantastic we're, out here. We have two people that, if you, as you will get to know them, you will realize they are the embodiment of Go Because You Can. I mean, it's pretty incredible what they have done. Chris and Marty Fagan of North Bend have done a lot. Welcome to you too. Thank you for, for, for joining us and we are going to have a good time talking about what you guys have done, are doing, and what you have planned for the future. Great. Thanks for having us. <laughs> <I'm> excited <laughs> Thanks for having us. <laughs> First and foremost, I mean, where do you begin with these two, Troy? I mean, it's an encyclopedia of adventure. I have no idea. So I, I got, a, I got, a, I got a, a jumping off point as okay. far as to, yeah. to get into Antarctica. What do you think of when you think That's of Antarctica? That is one chilly jumping off point. Chil- I'll exactly, tell you what. exactly. So you guys, together, the first married couple, was there a single person to ever go across Antarctica then? So you're yeah, the first yeah. married couple to go, is it just under just, 600 miles in mm-hmm. eight, how many days? 58 days? 48 days. 48 days. 48 days. Why? Why would you do <laughs> such a thing? <laughs> well, um, that is a big question. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would take many hours to probably explain. <laughs> but the short version is that, um, you know, we we love adventure. We met adventuring. It's been a big part of our life and our marriage. And it was cul- kind of a culmination of a lot of experience and things that we've been able to do. We were mountaineers uh, when we met and uh, had done some major mountaineering. And then we became ultra runners for about... 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. So we had huge endurance, a lot of skills and combined, uh, you know, going there was sort of like the pinnacle of that experience. And also is a really cool place um, that hardly any people get to go to, you know, as far mm-hmm. as going to the edge of Antarctica. And then uh, we skied from the edge all the way to the South Pole. So we didn't go all the way across. We went um, on that uh, expedition. Wow. So it's a pristine, or pristine place that hardly, you know, not many people get a chance to go to. So that was a lot of the reasons. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, for, I think for Chris and I, it did, like she said, it did bring together all of our skill set. Um, but it was kind of our, it was kind of like our moonshot. Um, thousands of people have climbed Everest. Um um, hundreds of people have went to space, even though we, we have thought about that one a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, the South Pole, though, uh, unsupported, unassisted, unguided, uh, just when we had, when we accomplished it, we were the 110th and 11th people to do that in all of polar history. So that's what initially excited us is that it was, uh, just something that seemed, uh, it, it seemed sort of impossible to us. Like it seemed like people who went to Antarctica, they must have something we don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we can't possibly do that. So it, it took us a full year of 
uh, talking back and forth about it and deciding. To even decide. And yeah. then three years of training and planning after that. Wow. So it was a major investment of time and energy and making sure that we, you know, we, we had the capabilities to be safe because we have a son. Sure. Um, yeah. To be safe without having a guide. Sure. That was a big mm. jumping off point for us. Now you, now, you just said we can't possibly do that. When, when, with all your adventures that sort of led up to that, and you're even still saying, oh, we can't possibly do that. Yeah. What switched? Yeah, you know, that first year we studied. So we got our hands on every possible polar book we could get our hands on. We read about past expeditions going all the way back to Amundsen and Scott, and then looking at modern polar expeditions and looking at what did those people have, what did they, how did they accomplish this, did they have something special that we don't have, and many of them did, uh, but many of them didn't. Many of them were just, had the sort of uh, grit and fortitude and mindset to, to take it on, and uh, we decided that uh, with that sort of mindset that we had, and we felt we were a good team together, and then we also, once we made that decision, we also went out and sought out polar experts. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the really cool things that I got to do, I got to go to Norway. Chris went to Minnesota to train. I got to go to Norway. <laughs> <laughs> I, got to, I got to go to Norway twice, actually. <laughs> but I sat down to dinner for three hours with uh, the gentleman. Christian Eddy. Christian Eddy, who uh, had the speed record from the coast to the pole. Uh, less than 30 days, solo speed record. Unsupported, oh unassisted, just all by himself. He he was an amazing guy. Sat down for three hours with him, and he wrote notes for me while he talked. He wrote the notes down. Wow. Uh, I bought him dinner. I don't. I think I got the better end of the deal yeah. in the whole thing. Amazing guy. But that's kind of the things we sought out to gain confidence and mm -hmm. and let those people decide. We kind of let some of those people decide. Are we uh, good enough to take it on? To take that on. Yeah, and so really mm. to um, build on other people's experience because there's no there was no book to tell you how to do it, right. you know. And so I think it's a really important part of any adventure when you're kind of getting into things that are new for you, and anything could be new for you, you know. As far as I'm going to run my first 5K, how do you do that? And so you kind of seek out people yeah. who've been there before, you know. Sure. And right. and people are really generous with their with their knowledge because mm. they know how awesome it is to do something that you've never done and the experience that they've had and the excitement it brings to their and joy to their life. So. Right. And Chris and I also had this whole saying as we went along, you know, and I'm sure you've kind of heard people say this before, we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. So we really sought out all those things we don't know. Uh, and we kept kept searching and searching and boy our our sort of manual on the South Pole got bigger and bigger on notes <laughs> and everything. We and we compile all those notes and you know try to decide okay have we made the right decisions yeah our to do our to-do list went from every time we'd check things off learn this get this we'd add like two more things because you keep learning right. new things oh we need to go research that or we need to go find out what that piece of gear is or that kind of food or you know that sort of training so yeah I suddenly feel I need to go brush up on polar history. <laughs> Very much I so. I did not realize Very there were so. you know, books and things written like, like that. But, but my, my most important question is, okay, you're sitting here in North Bend one night, maybe a football game gets over or whatever. Yeah. Who the heck comes up with the thing, hey, let's go ski across Antarctica. Why? Wh where did this come from? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was definitely mine. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just admired especially uh, the South Pole, 
Shackleton and mm-hmm. Amundsen and Scott, and I admired just the struggle that it took to do it a hundred, you know, a hundred plus years ago. Uh, that, you know, they're taking a wooden ship to get to the coast, and then they're going to sit there for a winter, and then hopefully they're going to be able to launch during that short summer season. Most of the time they didn't get to do that. They, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes they had to wait another season, or sometimes like Shackleton, they got stuck and their ship got crushed. Um, and then, But when they did make it out on the ice, they're, you know, hauling, uh, the British were man-hauling sleds, and I just admired... Uh, everything about that and I just felt that that was somewhere I wanted to go and when I tossed it out to Chris it was like this it was a fishing expedition for me <laughs> what was she gonna say <laughs> yeah. I just said it one night at dinner and I did say I Chris has said it before she remembers it she said well what do you th-? I said what do you think about the South Pole and she's uh, I, I literally was describe. like I, I literally was like uh, I'll have to think about that, and and, liter- and so I, I I knew I didn't want to shut down the idea. I really didn't know enough about what did it even mean. You right. know, what did that mean? I didn't know all the history that Marty did because he'd read a lot of those books earlier in his life, and so I was sort of I'll be open to the possibility, but really in my brain the dialogue was. Uh, I, you know, I really don't think so. I don't know what this takes. How, who's going to take care of Keenan? My son was, well, when he brought up the idea, he was seven, eight, mm-hmm. eight. And um, how are we going to take off work and how much is this going to cost? I mean, there's all these barriers and red flags that popped in my head, but I didn't really articulate any of them at the time. Well. I was like, um, let's talk about it. So basically I knew he wasn't saying let's do it. It was sort of like, let's start a dialogue about the possibility mm-hmm. and that's you know once you verbalize something that's where it all starts i just say it's it's gonna happen once you once, once you, you start once it, you verbalize it i mean it, even with a fishing expedition it you know, is. it's like yeah then, we're doing it because now because <laughs> now we're like committed to doing the research and the more you do the research the more you're like huh yeah. mm-hmm. and you know we're the kind he knows he knows that we're the type of people who hmm i don't know if i can do that now you know, now you're kind of hooked because you yeah, want to figure out how you can do it. Absolutely. And you're not going to do it if it's not safe. Yeah. Although a lot of people in the world would look at us and say... That's not safe. And we've had people say, you mm. know, as we were investigating it, that's not safe. How can you do that? Why would you do that to your son? Mm-hmm. And we just looked at it completely the opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, we looked at it more as we have an obligation to, to live how the values that we hold in our mm-hmm. life... It's exactly what you your whole you know a motto is about. Go because you can. <clears throat> we want our son to not wait till some special moment in time when he thinks he might want to go do something. If he sees his parents just going after something in the moment that they are excited about it, you know he's going to remember that <clears throat> more than us being gone for a period of time. Mm. And um, and it turned out, you know, that we had it built community because be, us deciding to go. All of our friends and family all stepped up, and he's an only child, so he he was able to have these bonds with people that came to stay and live in our home, Mm -hmm. Um, our family members. You know, he's got all these inside jokes with his aunts and uncles, and um, you know, you know, friends, uh, parents, and stuff like that. So he he has really grown through that experience as well. So it was awesome. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's I think that's amazing too. Because, you know, endurance sport in general can be somewhat selfish. 
you know, it, it can be a selfish pursuit. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I really admire how you guys have made it a couple, a family, a community pursuit. And that's, uh, um, I mean, that's a wonderful thing. And, and like you're saying, like your son being able to see that and see, and watch that grow from a young age. Imagine what, imagine what's next for him. You know, that's, it's so exciting because when we, when we went on this trip, he was 12 and now he's, you know, almost 18, 17 and a half. And, you know, things that he's done in that window are amazing to me you know like we've taken him to Africa a few times mm -hmm. and you know at, at age 10 he almost made it to the summit of Kilimanjaro which was awesome and he we recently went back and he and he and he made it um, and um, he's gone on he's taken his you know five four friends and him went and circumnavigated uh, Mount St. Helens last summer just the boys, 15, I mean, 16 year old wow. boys. We, we, we sat down, gave him the maps. He's done mm -hmm. it with us. You're in charge now. You can, you guys can do this. Wow. This is a three day outing and they, they did great. You know, we of course had our, our uh, GPS tracker on them. To <laughs> of make course. Sure we we home base. So we're not just <laughs> like sending them off into, you know, but it was so amazing because these boys, it was really pushing some of them. And we showed them how to fast pack and make it light so it'd be more fun. Mm. And, uh, you know, they did great. They had some things to overcome. And, and, you know, they all grew because of it. I'm sure of it. Oh, definitely. And I their mean, bond, those boys are all bonded. As I say, arguably, we're pretty comfortable now. And, mm. you know, to, 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 to hear about a group of young men, you know, you know young kids, you know, boy, girl, whatever, stepping out of that comfort zone to kind of push their boundaries a little bit that's encouraging it was great and you know you know at certain times somebody in their group it was a, a you know uh, five boys someone in their group would be hurting a little bit or it's, it's a little bit hard and somebody else would step up mm -hmm. and take some weight from them you know mm -hmm. um somebody was worried about running out of water and somebody else would share their water uh, because they they had their only designated water places um, on Mount St. Helens that you know, we showed them on the map and it's critical you have to find these and so you know it was hot and it's open and and they you know they talked to that person mm -hmm. you know if that person got got concerned and they just were all a group you know, it was a definitely learning teamwork and how you can't uh, you know it's kind of like wherever that is where that person is low you have to you know kind of compensate and that's I mean that's what we did all the time on our on our team efforts and that's it's a great skill in life you mentioned Kilimanjaro yeah. and climbing. Yeah. Is this where the Chris and Marty Chronicles began on the mountain? How, how, how did you guys meet? How did, it, how did it all come together? It didn't begin in. It did not begin in Africa, but it did begin in uh, in Alaska on uh, on Denali. So at that time, you know, I lived in Seattle and okay. Marty lived in Hawaii, and he was a police officer at that time. Wow. And um, we were just on separate, completely separate you know, climbs. I was with two women, so we were a team of three women, self-guided. And then Marty was a team of three men, and they were self-guided. So we just happened to arrive at the mountain on the same day. And uh, and so when you're climbing that mountain, you know, you're kind of like moving up kind of in clumps of people from camp to camp. And so that's how we, that's how we met. I mean, literally, we're wow. just camping with other people, and there they are. And 
you know, there's not many women up on no. uh, Denali. <laughs> it's, it's mostly you three. Yeah, I really, did. I think there might have been like two other women, and then it was mostly five percent men. So, um, you somehow know, we so, ended up be beside you. Every somehow, evening. somehow, yeah, it, you know. And so, uh, so it was pretty interesting because you know we were hyper focused on you know we had, this was well above our experience level as far as the hardest thing we'd ever done. Super focused, you know. Yeah. Won't, don't want to be distracted by, you know, um, attractive men or anything. So we were really super focused. And, um, um, and now you somehow, just lost them. You lost your spot. I did, I did. Well, we, were, we were super focused, but somehow, I still don't even know. We, you know, we just moving up the mountain at the same pace. And by the time we were all done, 24 days later, you're back at base camp. And, you know, Marty's like, Hey, let's have dinner in Talkeetna. You know, I mean, it, you right. know, it's. For, I mean, for me on the mountain, it was like, like we've talked about this. It was almost instantaneous. I was 35 years old. I had never been married or anything, and Chris hadn't either. And I knew I was in love with Chris because one of the teammates, one of Chris's teammates, was a six foot tall, statuesque, supermodel looking <laughs> woman. And I didn't even glance at her, ever. <laughs> so I glanced at Chris right away. Yeah, we, awesome. we, we, we kind of joke because it, you know, you're stuck in these tents and there's howling winds and you're all stuck for days, ready to go up to the next um, camp the next day. And Marty. Um, was early on saying, how's it going over there, girls? You know, what's happening over there? And then like a few days later or a week later, he would say, hey, Chris, how's it going over there? And then my teammates would be like, oh, it's all about Chris now, you know? So, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty quick. He quickly, yeah. once we got back to the States, he I, I, quit his job and moved to Seattle. Yeah, quit my job that I much. had loved. That was it. I had been a police officer in Honolulu for about 11 years. Loved my job. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I left two months later. You were actually Hawaii 5 -0. I was Hawaii 5 <laughs> <laughs> I was. He totally was. Yeah. <laughs> Those are a lot of stories if you're wondering right. a podcast on that one. Right. I bet. That's fantastic. I love, I love that story. So were there three weddings? So I... Um... Not from that. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I'm just you know, saying, well, like later. No, no, no. Yeah. That's a great question. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're yeah. all yeah. starting yeah. to yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. It was kind of ironic because his two teammates were from Washington State and yeah. he's from Hawaii. One was from Seattle. Oh, wow. So it was just, yeah. again, like the connections wow. we were talking about. Yeah, before. yeah. That's mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah. 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 I think, I, you know, that probably happened for a reason. Absolutely. Yeah. Marty had tried to summit Denali two other times mm -hmm. and failed. Wow. This was his third attempt. Third so, time's a charm. Third you know, time is a charm. So obviously he did not make it the other two because yeah, I wasn't there You yet. weren't there. That's right. right. So Summit and right. a life partner. Yeah, I know. Is, How cool yeah, is that? Right. It turned out pretty well there. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. <laughs> that, that's all right. You know, I think, I think I would just build on that. I think, I think one of the biggest things about that is when you talk about endurance sports and mountaineering and everything mm -hmm. and, and running, and when you find somebody that has a shared passion, there's, there's such a... Um, there's no need to convince that other person to want to go do these things. So right. I've been around people who have had that. They've discovered an endurance kind of uh, passion, and it, it has created some friction because you are gone a lot, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it's sure. quite a devotion. So it, a lot of people can make it work, but it just it clicked for us because we already had that shared passion together. Right. You've conquered the mountains and ice, which brings us to your latest pursuit. The race to Alaska, which you guys are going to endeavor on. 
Um, and this isn't just some luxurious 38-foot sailboat with a nice little, you know, galley and, and bed to sleep on. Tell me about the boat that you guys will be will be taking. How did you end up with it with an outrigger type of boat? And really, where did the idea come from? So we'll sit back and talk to you in 20 minutes. Yeah. By the way, a lot to cover here. Yeah, I, uh, oh, I love the race to Alaska, first mm -hmm. of all. Love all the... Uh, characters in it. I love the, the guys who started the race. They're characters themselves. Uh, they're a hoot to listen to. They're very creative. Um, so I've always loved the race. Um, I knew I wanted to do the race in some fashion such as paddling or rowing or something that in, in I don't know, somehow increased the, even increased the challenge of it even more. I love mm -hmm. those people who do all those crazy things at the uh, Race to Alaska, the stand-up paddleboard uh, oh. people. Um, I'm just Carl Kruger, absolutely stunning to me. Um, so, um, I looked at the past races and saw the, I think it was the first year, the uh, six guys who did it in a six-person outrigger canoe. I, I was like, I, that one was sort of jaw-dropping to me. Yeah. Uh, those guys were really experienced paddlers. Um, that attracted me. So I started looking at outrigger uh, canoes and decided that uh, paddling the whole way is actually not something I totally wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to add a little more in. Given so, the fact that we're not yeah, big paddlers. We're not paddlers. Right. Yeah, not, we do have some not, kayaking experience. Yeah, we're right. not really water people either. You will be. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I came upon like, well, is there a really good outrigger sailing canoe? Mm -hmm. And I started looking at different ones, and not I wasn't even a sailor at all. So uh, our luckily, our very good friend, uh, Danny Geiger, is a sailor, and he's our captain. So I sense a little so, bit of a trend here. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't a, a polar explorer. Yeah. I wasn't necessarily <laughs> a, and I wasn't, nece I, I wasn't a sailor or a yeah, paddler. Yeah, that's interesting. But, yeah. but I'm going to go from Port Townsend yeah. to... Alaska. And how many miles is that? Yeah. 975? 750. Yeah. And tomorrow we'll head up from Seattle yeah. to Port Townsend, which is, we'll add another 40. Yeah, and, uh, and, and just for people who aren't familiar with the race to Alaska, it is human powered. There's no nothing. No motor, no cheating, no nothing. Yeah. It's, it's paddle, wind power, and um, your own brain power yeah. to get there. Yep. Yeah, and that's the attraction. Right. Um, the what's there? What what have I heard before? The uh, America's Cup for dirt bags. That's been called. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. Which I thought was great. Uh, and yeah, the canoe we settled on is it's a full sailing rig. It is called the Holo Puni, uh, developed by a gentleman on Kauai named Nick Beck. He's developed him over the last twenty years. He's on his third iteration. He's uh, Nick is 80 years old. In fact, we were I was communicating with him by email this morning. But I called, just picked up the phone and called Nick one day. And, and he answered. And <laughs> we, we developed a bromance uh -huh. and talked Very for nice. like over a month on and off on the phone. And the next thing you know, uh, Nick was excited about this race even before. And he had wanted to do the race and he feels he can't can't do it now at this time um, at his age uh, and Nick ended up selling us his personal holo pony the one that he has per it's it's his baby that he sort of made for himself yep um, one one thing about that I'll add to his company is you know he's in this for a, a love 
mm. of the sea. That's right. And he created a boat that could take him from island to island in Hawaii yeah. so he could explore. That's why he created this boat. That's and other so cool. and other people saw it and they're like, I want one of those. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. like, oh my goodness. I'm, you know, so he sort of evolved and started a really you know, small company. Sure. But he doesn't have like a big manufacturing plant. There are, uh, I read in an article that there's only 50 that have ever been made. And so we were trying to find one, and there was none in the 40, lower 48. There's wow. just none. There was one person at Patagonia who owns one, and I, we, I, I talked to him, and he's like, well, no, I don't want to sell mine. You know, right. I mean, yeah, you get one, sure. and you, you just keep you it because it, it's yeah. so unique. So um, it's just a, an experience of the – you're experiencing the water in a completely unique way. And when you just see the boat, you smile. Yeah. You just smile. It looks like oh, a yeah. giant – to me, it looks like a giant swan mm-hmm. with these amas, I'm sorry, with these tramps that reach out to the amas yeah. and this really long, you know, neck, which is the, uh, which is the sail. And it's, it's a real sailing rig on it. You know, it's, it's not just sort of plunk a little sail on. It can downwind, upwind, it can sail. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It has a main, a jib and a screecher on it mm-hmm. and it's, it's fast and that's what's fun. And Chris describes it as a swan. I like to. I look at it and look, think it looks like the Klingon bird of prey, <laughs> actually, from the front. <laughs> I, I like to think of it as, like, fast and yeah. sort of powerful, uh, and that's that excited me about it. Um, yeah, Nick is a wonderful guy. We, Chris and I went to Kauai and spent several days with him, and we went through every detail of, of that canoe with him. He spent right. five days just... Um, just teaching us everything he knows. So the thing about yeah. this canoe that might not be obvious is it, it literally is comes isn't is in pieces. Mm-hmm. So it's it's thirty foot long, fifteen feet wide, but you can take it all apart and condense it down and transport it. Like a Hobie or something, right? Mm-hmm. Just Wow. So so he we literally was like dragging every piece out on his lawn, uh, you know, in beautiful Kauai and putting everything together in and you know, um Lashing learning techniques. the lashing technique that's proper and it was just wow. this really cool learning experience and time spent with him you could see how much he just you know loved everything about this boat and i just remember sure. just, first time i saw the boat i mean i literally went up and i was like you know touching it almost like an animal or something like a right. dolphin you know wow. that it, it, it was it was it was beautiful it's just beautiful and you yeah. can't wait to get in it when you see yeah. it and and the whole time we've had it docked here um in the area, people are, you know, people just stop and go, what, hold on, what, what is that? What is that? You know, and it's, it's just really, it's really exciting, everything about it. Well, there's, there's, um, with, with canoes and with um, vessels like that, there's a, um, I don't know, it's, it, it's a, I don't know how to describe it, but a lot of people talk about there's a, there's a soul that comes with those things. Mm. Because you know the people that that make them create them to to travel, you know they put a lot into it, and um, so it's like to to hear that his personal boat he sold it to you, yeah, you know right. you're 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 traveling with a um, with a pretty special thing. Yeah. You know we've had a few people um, from Hawaii um, that are interested in this paddle and following tell us mm-hmm. just that, yeah. and you know you you are you are paddling for us. Mm-hmm. Like, 
Whoa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> As if you don't that's not, to a, deal that's with not that. any pressure. Yeah. But, you know, um, really, you are representing. I mean, there's also, to me, when you were talking about that, it's like this historic, almost primal mm. thing happening. For sure, yeah. With the boat. Yeah. You know, it's it's the way they. It's just a modern version of the way that they've always yeah. traveled on the water. And I like to think about, you know, we don't we don't personally have all that, you know, like wisdom of the water that I wish we did before starting this sure. journey. Sure. But we're surely going to get a lot of it. <laughs> uh-huh. And, uh, you know, we trust our friend Danny. He's got, you know, he's been sailing since he was, you know, 10. Yeah. And he's done some major journeys. But, um, yeah, I hope some of that will just... Mm-hmm wash over us when we're out there some of those like and and some of those i mean just some of that feeling of historic i mean one of the interesting things about bringing this boat to the pacific northwest is that you know we have our own heritage here oh definitely and this and this just sort of is bringing a a different heritage of water travel to the inside passage i just Mm -hmm. love that juxtaposition it's Mm -hmm. just really really interesting and um i can't wait to feel all that you know Mm -hmm. because with all the preparations that we've been doing I'm talking phys- philosophically now. We haven't really been able to think this way because sure. you're so busy getting ready and preparing mm-hmm. and yeah. logistics and you know making sure we, we've been adapting this boat since day one to be an expedition boat instead of a day travel boat. Mm-hmm. So trying to find people, experts, mm-hmm. been, and how to do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. people helping us and lending their expertise. I mean, they've just been help you know coming out and helping us, and it's been great. So we feel really ready now. Yeah. I'm a little nervous if Nick Beck does come to the start because we have drilled a whole bunch of holes into the hull to attach things. Like every time we drill a hole, I, I yeah. cringe just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we, because we put on a flat water rudder, we've um, yep. attached pedals to help us. You know, uh, and you know, steer easy. We want to. Sure. We want to all three be able to paddle sure. efficiently, and uh, we've we decided to. It's a little bit. It was a little tough to attach a flat water rudder on it because yeah. I know we know a, like a real outrigger steersman would never use use <laughs> that. What is that? Yeah. But no. we knew that if we wanted all three to paddle, uh, we had to do that. Yeah. And if we wanted one person to rest, one person can now steer yeah. and not paddle and take a break. It's it's made a yeah. A substantial difference uh, for us. So. Well, I, I think uh, you know, knowing knowing who designed your flat water <laughs> um, um, steering system, and I think Nick would be proud. I hope, you, yeah, you know, because the people the people that you're having work on the boat. I yeah. mean, you know, Dan Hund and yes, and yeah. Dan's an amazing guy. Yeah, and he actually developed the the full rudder. Yeah. We actually had two different ones, yeah. and he yeah. he just created it. You know, yeah. I mean, we we just brought. You yeah. know, we literally brought this old. Hobie rudder that that Nick gave us. Hey, maybe you can make something out of this because you're probably going to want to do some kind of rudder. People have been talking about it, but nobody's been able to do it. Really, done it. Yeah. And we just we just asked Dan to. He, he volunteered. Yeah. He's like, "Yeah, I'll help you." Well, I think that like that that soul of the water that travels to different people, you know. And um, Dan is very much mm-hmm. very much that. And so I would imagine that when you know when Nick showed. If Nick shows up at this, yeah, event. he's talking about it. He's you just know, is trying to work it out from he'll, personal uh, issues. Um, he'll sense that as well. It's not like you know me walking out there, knowing not knowing which end of the drill to use. You know, just you slapping have something yeah. together. No, it's <laughs> yeah. it's beautiful actually. Yeah, it, and it's simple. Yeah. So as far as um, working well and aesthetically uh, pleasing, it's both. You know, it's yeah. form and function both. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. You'll spend this week getting over to Port Townsend, and then you guys take off the first weekend in June. 
I think as you hear about the race to Alaska in the boat that you guys have, which has multiple means of propulsion, what do you see, how do you see this whole thing playing out? Uh, as far as days it's going to take you, storms that can come up out of nowhere, do you find yourselves maybe having to hit land and camping? I mean, are, are you preparing for all these possibilities and, and really how long do you think it will take total? Right. So, yes, uh, the answer is we are preparing for all kinds of contingencies because, you know, this is the question, how long will it take you? You know, and mm -hmm. so much depends on the weather and the wind, um, independent of our skill level on our boat. Right. Because we're all going to be in the same kind of wind and patterns together. Mm -hmm. So there's and then you put on top of that our, you know, our boat hasn't been, you know, tried in this exact situation. So, yeah, we, we are we want to be as competitive as we can be. So we are planning to be able to sleep on it and rotate and, and try to try to do that. So we have created, um, you know, like we've got bivy sacks to sleep in, and we've tried that out on our on our um, tramps. And um, you know, for sailing really hard and fast, we won't be doing that. But if it's sort of medium, some people can be sleeping. We've also developed, um, you know, just a, a a system to make it into a tent. So um, if we have to anchor or pull over because maybe the tides aren't in our favor, we can sleep that way. And so you know how the, um, the boom hangs over and we, we have this, this one pound, one pound tarp uh, made by Sea to Summit that we just, we just um, you know, sort of uh, customized basically. And, um, and it goes over like a kind of a, you know, a pup tent kind of thing. And you can sleep under there in our in our baby sacks, awesome. and that way we don't have to like try to land somewhere. It's going to be much more efficient. It's really cool. Um, and then wow. we also had there's a the middle seat is where you paddle, but we also put in a a, a tramp uh, tr you know sort of a tramp there that can zip on and off, yeah. so we can have this big living space if we're doing a lot of sailing or trying to sleep. Uh, but but getting back to your question about how long it will take, all of that will help us go, you know, kind of hopefully as fast as we can. Yeah, um, we're we're going to try to go. Our plan is 24 hours a day. Um, nice. we're, yeah, and we are bringing eight days of food with us. Mm -hmm. So um, whether we can do it in that, I'm, I'm not sure. We, um, we kind of feel like that might be the our best case mm -hmm. scenario. Sure. Um, and we're, we know that we can resupply. Right. So if it turns out, you know, we know there's some places where you get some food. And if it turns out we have to stop and right. um, there's some weather or issues with the boat or any right. kind of issues then we know we can always get more food because it's it's really a weight game on our boat mm -hmm. you know a lot of these bigger boats either like water we don't have to worry about how much water we carry yeah. and we're like oh well we do mm -hmm. so we're thinking of like maybe carrying only three days of water and then you know we've kind of earmarked where we can get water so it's it's like yeah. a, it's just a big puzzle for us yeah, right. <laughs> sleeping is going to be um you know a lot of the boats have cabins to go into to take a nap we we're just 24 we're exposed, yep. we're just exposed is a big all, deal for us all the, the time is a big deal. Mm -hmm. yeah. the temperature. Um, how yeah. do how do how do we you know take a rest and also when you're sailing if you're the one resting and you're in that um bivy sack i describe it as i feel like i'm in a body bag is <laughs> <laughs> how i feel <laughs> there it's the water is literally just a few inches under me and you're skimming along and you can see through the you know through yeah. the tram and you're pro you're inside a bag, <laughs> and yeah. We do have safety lines. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, we have that whole thing rigged on there, so we're tied in, and you know, at those times. I, I gotta ask though, <laughs> <laughs> you know where I'm going? As we are the organic 
podcast, and Troy and I have yeah. a very similar sense of humor. Absolutely. <laughs> really, yeah. How are you going to go to the bathroom? Oh, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, um, our friend Dan, Everybody does it. Our captain, <laughs> our captain Danny, he's like, we must have a small bucket with a with a little seat on it. We must. Because I've seen people try to just hang over, and doesn't it, it doesn't work. work very well, and your boat gets disgusting. So, so we have a small... You know, the cool thing about this canoe is... Yeah. It is a really deep. It's yeah. very deep. So yeah. it's, imagine sitting on this picnic table and it's like a ninety degrees. That's that's how high you up are oh, in this wow. boat. That's awesome. So there's lots of room. Very right. comfortable. So you can right. just shove that bucket under that seat. Right. Pull it out. Ready to go. When you have to do it your business. It will have a name when you're done. <laughs> it, it will have a name. Yes. Exactly. That chapter. <laughs> yeah. So and um. It's amazing how stable things are too. To be able to stand up in there is yeah. you can just stand yeah. right it's up. It's phenomenal. Yeah, good for legs. Yeah. And because you have these two almas, so you're. You just kind of are only shifting, you know, a foot. Right. And you kind of get a sense for how that is versus, like, worrying it's going to tip over one left or right, you know. So you guys you guys have a lot of experience with discomfort. We do. And, and That's and one of our superpowers. I was going to say, so, so how, do, how do you think, yeah, like, the, um, I mean, like, the, you know, uh, running ultras is uncomfortable. Yeah. Yes. You know, going to the pole is uncomfortable. Yes. How, can you talk about, like, how those experiences... How do you think they're going to translate to being uncomfortable going to Alaska? Yeah, it's, well, you can go too, but it's it's the art of suffering and being, I, I've always thought of it as being comfortable with discomfort. Sure. And um, we're, I was, I was just talking about, talking to this with somebody yesterday and telling him about running around by myself, running around Mount Rainier, uh, the Wonderland Trail. Uh, 96 miles, which I ran in 36 hours without stopping. And at one point, I was just like, I have to lay down. And I just lay down in the dirt on the trail at like 2 a.m. and was sound asleep. And I was that was the most comfortable thing in the world. I was like, this is so amazing <laughs> to lay down. <laughs> the best sleep and ever. Sleep. And, I, and Chris and I have done that before running together for 24 plus hours on long runs where we're like, okay, let's just lay down. And like for 10 minutes. I mean, not yeah. like a big two hour sure. nap or something. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think we've gotten to the point where we're just so comfortable with that discomfort. We know what it's like to sort of suffer and be, you know. And know that, well, know that it has an end. So I mean, here's what I would yeah. say about that. There is something around, there's some attraction there that has to do for me with if I know I can do it and it's going to be easy, then, you know, why am I doing it? Hmm. Other than there could be some, you know, joyous pleasure, you know, some, sure. something I really like sure. to do. But I always see it as it's like, it's sort of this way of continually learning and growing about yourself. And so there's no better way to do that than you're putting yourself in these situations that take you down to kind of like your core essence. And that's the best way you're going to know yourself, I think. And that's, that's a, we don't get to do that in regular life very much because we all walk around being certain kind of people, wearing certain kind of masks, being a certain way. And when you're out there in the elements, in nature specifically, you know, it's like you have traveled back in time to a time where it's just you and your skills and your mindset. And so much of it, so much of it, 99% of it is mental. I mean, you have to train really hard for these kinds of things, but sure. that's kind of just the price of entry. Sure. Yeah. You can't, sure. uh, 
you know, uh, kind of the joke under in the ultra running community is it's 99% mental to get through a 100-mile race, and the other 1% is mental. <laughs> you know, when you think you're at the end, you're not, and you find something in yourself that you never knew was there. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And, and I want to make sure that, you know, when Chris and I are out there together, we've done so many things together, which is what's really great. And it's not always, you know, sometimes we make it's it. Not so, it's not always perfect either between us. Oh, no, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what's, yeah, you know, yeah, I, for sure. I don't want everybody to get the idea, oh my gosh, it's just oh, perfect. No. Uh, it's it's not. And can I curse on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, you know, there was, we were running from Stevens to Suquamish Pass for an example, and we're about 60 miles into it, and it was really hard. It, and we were both, I don't know why. <laughs> And Chris, and it was my idea, and Chris just yells at me, this is the fucking stupidest thing we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> and and that was this before Antarctica or after? That was before. Okay, And at the time, I have no reply for that, right? Because right. I'm thinking the same thing. Like, right. this is... But then when we got in the car, we actually had... We had pre-parked our car there, and there was chips and soda. And this is, I guess, our mindset. It probably wasn't 30 minutes where it, I think Chris might have said, that's pretty cool. You know, <laughs> you know I, have to, I have to admit, I have purged ever saying that to Marty. I'm not sure if it's true or factual, but I, I believe I probably did. Because when you're at that, I, I think it might have been that point where we were out of water. We, kept, we heard this river somewhere. We heard of the creek and sure. we're just in this open sun or... Where is the water? And I was just feeling so bad, and we just kept going. I just felt so bad, and I remember sitting down. I probably said it then. I don't even remember saying it, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. Um, well, I remember because I was like, "Wow." Chris doesn't <laughs> usually. That's not my normal way of being. Just <laughs> <laughs> so sneaks out every now and again. Um, you know? But you know, you know the the uh, South Pole for sure, and and you know other. Yeah, you can't. Oftentimes, we talked about earlier. You're with a teammate, and you help them. You lift them up when they're down, and they mm -hmm. lift you up when you're down. And then there's those moments when you're just both down at the same time. And that's when that that's when that sort of happens where, you know, the other person's like, Well, I feel like crap too. What's your problem? you know? So it's like just just get through. And we had that happen in, in more Antarctica. frequently in Antarctica. And, you know, what was ironic is um, before we left people wrote little messages inside of our tent. So On we the had, tent. We had scores of messages written that we didn't read till we got there. Wow. But ironically one of the messages on my side of the tent from I think it was Sri Ramana Harshi said silence is also conversation and sometimes when I didn't want to talk and Chris was talking I would point to that because <laughs> <laughs> I would be I would here's the deal we're going back to Antarctica for a second but you literally are going eight ten hours a day by yourself in your mask and sure. you're following each other there's no talking you're in your head all day long then you finally get in the tent and you know, I just need a little debriefing chitter-chatter. And Marty's like, I just need a little time over here. You know, so we have, we had to deal with that, you know. How, how many people do you talk to who say, let's just go back to Antarctica for a second? Right? <laughs> None. Uh, what is it, like 110 yeah. of you or something? Yeah, yeah 110, <laughs> in, exactly. In the world? Uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Silence is actually a conversation. That's, uh, that's fantastic. I need to write that down later. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, and, you know, seriously, that, that saying, a friend of ours wrote up there for us, that saying took on different meaning, like as the weeks went on, because sure. we were there for forty-eight days, yeah. right? So each, you know, it was kind of funny. Then it was like, you yeah. know, it just sort of really had this meaning, like, hmm. Because actually, one of the one of the things that happened and transformed when you're out in nature and and especially there was it's so quiet and sort of lonely, and um, 
And eventually it became, silence is also conversation. It's like, I am now comfortable with silence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of people aren't. A lot of people aren't. And I just realized how much I do fill sometimes our mind and our time with stuff. And then that really just came down to like, oh, silence mm -hmm. is great mm -hmm. at times. So you have quite a community. Like the uh, um, notes inside your tent. And so that, that, that community, is that coming with you when you're going, when you're going to Alaska? Are, are you going to have notes on the side of the bucket? Are you going to have notes on the sail? I mean, are there... Notes <laughs> on the side awesome. of the bucket. What's on the side? Notes on I the side of the bucket. I think we should have a contest on what to name the bucket. What and they all just the put names on it. There you oh. go. All right, now I'm going to call it Uncle Duke. <laughs> That's my submission. Uncle Duke. <laughs> See what anybody else can Oh, yeah. yeah. We, no, we, you know, we are, we are super fortunate to have just a fabulous community of uh, supporters in all aspects of our life. And, uh, yeah, um, well, we will definitely have people are already talking about following us for sure because, sure. um, you know, Race to Alaska has a great tracking system on their website. Definitely. And then we're also going to be carrying our own tracker for our own purposes, so we'll have that for our, you know, immediate friends and family. Um so yeah, and we're hoping to post and stuff while we're out there. Mm -hmm. I don't know sure. how much. It depends sure. on connectivity, but um, yeah, yeah. And once again, it, you know, it turns out unfortunately, my son is still in school when it starts, and sure. it's his finals week. Of course it is. Of course, of course it, is. it is. So at first, uh, the the guilt and the you know sort of pang. I was like, no, I can't leave Keenan again. You know. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, okay, he's a junior in high school, so that's yeah. a lot of different, very different. But still, my sister and her husband are kind of just going to come yeah. over and stay with him for a week to... i say he's probably kind of used to it now. Cheer him on and make him food. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of used to it. And uh, you know what? You've given you've given him a lifetime gift. It's not... Yeah. I, I, wouldn't, I hope so. Yeah, I wouldn't feel guilty about that at all. Because yeah. the, you know, sounds like what what he's doing, has done, and will do is going to sort of kind of carry on that... Mm -hmm. um, couple days after he gets, no, about a week after he gets done with school, we're planning for him to fly up to uh, to Ketchikan. Hopefully, I mean, we're just guessing when we're going to end, but be there for the finish. If not, if we did really well, he'll see us there celebrating. Right. Um, but he'll be up there at the finish, and hopefully some of these friends that had done, had, had uh, completed that circuit with him in the mountains will be coming with him. Sure. So that, And that's fantastic. Yeah. That'll be really fun to see him there. One thing I think of talking to you guys, I think people often tell young couples, if you really want to see how someone is, travel with them. Mm. Yeah. Going through the extreme travel and adventures that you guys have done, and this is totally where you can just speak from experience. What is your message to maybe that couple that says, hey, let's go to Europe together for two months? And then, you know, the true colors come out. But how do you get through is what I'm asking those really tough, dark times when that other person is there and you're in exactly the same place. I know you touched on it a little bit earlier, but, but really, what would you tell them? Well, um, I thought of two things while you were speaking. One is, um, there is no better way to learn patience mm -hmm. than to both be in a bad place at the same time. And any good marriage, you know, you have to learn to be patient. Uh, and, you know, because at the, at the, I'm thinking of those times, there weren't, I can't say, oh, you know, listen better. Because you, you, you almost can't because you're just going through something that you, you're just all consuming in, by yourself, you know. Um, so just kind of, and then also time. Mm -hmm. Just let some time go by and everything comes around. Like one of the 
wisest people when I first started running, ultra running, you know, said, um, you're, you're running 24 hours straight, you know, and you're just like, how am I ever going to run 50 more miles? I feel, I feel horrible at 50 miles, you know, and it's, you know, you, um, everything gets better when the sun goes down. And really what they were talking about is because you're so hot, you know, in some of these races and just just a change of change of environment changes everything. So those would be my two things that popped in my head. Yeah, I, th I, I think for Chris and I, I think a lot of the, the trips that me, Chris and Keenan have went on together and some challenging times that we had to get through and, and manage and, you know, one of the that advice that I could give people. One of them was the, uh, when we're going up Kilimanjaro and it's two in the morning and we're at 17,000 feet and Keenan is 10 years old and Chris and I make the t sort of, the, we're able to give each other the look without really saying it that we're going to turn Keenan around, right? And it's... Because he was having some issues. Sure, yeah. Sure. yeah, and it's, it's that we were... We had done so many things together that we both instinctively knew, right, that it's, it's, it was time to do that. And I think for younger couples, it's trying to forge those like-minded hobbies, get out there and do stuff together, find things mm -hmm. that you both like, right, to do together. Don't have, try not to have too many separate, separate hobbies. That's what Chris and I have been good at, is that all our hobbies have converged, um, and we've kept, tried to keep that up, um, you know, from ultra, from mountain climbing to ultra running to the South Pole to R2AK. We keep converging. Our, not one of us has drifted into this other area. So um, I love the, I think that's what some of our strength has come from, is having those like-minded hobbies together. Definitely. So, yeah, I love that. So. Even playing pickleball here, you know, at our house, we have a pickleball court at our house. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not just a pickleball court. It, 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 I mean, this has, this has color. It has a, you know, it has a basketball net attached to it. It's you guys fantastic. hosting a tournament? Yeah. That's right. There's bleachers, aka the picnic table that we're sitting at. Actually, he's been wanting to put bleachers in. No it's joke. A, I'm like, it's mm. another obsession of ours. <laughs> that is fantastic. Well, it's actually when you were talking about it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great way to build community yeah and community our, you know we've had it for over six it. years now and now um our son's friends they like to come over and play the yeah. adults come over and play couples can play you know it's accessible to any level of player yeah so it's it's a fun way to get out and play you know and i think that's i mean that that's actually when you're going back to your question i think mm -hmm. you know just get out and play and it doesn't matter what it is yeah, yeah. you know you don't have to do these extreme things that we're talking about that may seem extreme to some people because they don't do these things but if you just get out and play find something that sounds fun i think that's really what we're trying to get get to here yeah, yeah. i think that with the with go because you can and with your health and things like that the uh, that's, right. um, that's that's the that's the key right um, we've had you know had people say you know hey not everybody not everybody climbs mountains or not everybody does that. And, you know, using your health means, you know, if, if your thing is walking your dog around the block, go you, for it. Use your health and do that. Yep, that's do great. It. You know, do it and, and do it, do it, do it cause you can. Cause when you get sick or when you, the things that you love are removed from you, you know, you don't really, you're not caring about summits or 
giant things like that, you're caring, you know, you care about the simple things, mm -hmm. the simple things that you want to do. Yep. And that's, that's really important. Yeah. Absolutely. Just yeah. getting outside every day. Yeah. Just go outside yeah. if you like getting outside. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I know Troy met you on the water. You and I talked on the phone and I could have just talked to you all afternoon. <laughs> There's a way to know your travels a little better. And you ventured into the writing realm and you have a book coming out. And, um, by the way, congratulations, you guys are the longest podcast that it's oh! had so far. I'm going to note that we only have 60 minutes to do it, so we, we, we got nine minutes left. All right. So, wow. so uh, tell, tell me about your book and, and what's coming out and, and really how, not just writing about your adventures, but maybe it might inspire others to, to get out of that comfort zone. Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. Yeah, my book is um, really about this um, Antarctica journey that we've been discussing, but it's so much more. You know, I wanted to write a book that wasn't just kind of like a travel journal, explorer's journal, day one, day two, that kind of thing. This really, uh, it really encapsulates a lot of what we've been talking about here. Mm -hmm. How did, how did we, how did I get to be this way? How did we choose to do this adventure? How did we build this community around us? How did our son manage, you know? Um, and so it also... It also details all these people, like what was happening here while we were there. So it's it's sort of all encompassing. And um, while I do a lot of writing for work, and um, I, I, you know, again, I, I wasn't a writer. Like, oh, I've been training all my life to write a book. Right. right. So again, this was one of these things where, okay, I think I can write a book. Um, I've got this skill set, but I definitely need some more skill set. And so, you know, um, I sort of started writing, and then got a lot of help and joined a writing group and had went to conferences and you know how do you write a book I mean it's a lot different than writing an article mm -hmm. and just you know the whole arc and themes so um wasn't until I really you know got help from a really really good developmental editor and some editors that I it really came to to shine and mm. into life and then um get published so um it's coming out September 3rd uh 2019 so it's coming up and it's called The Expedition Two Parents Risk Life and Family in an Extraordinary Quest to the South Pole. Uh, it's already available for pre-order anywhere you buy your books. Um, so Amazon or, you know, um, Barnes & Noble, Powell's, you know, Elliott Bay, you know, mm -hmm. all these places. So um, super excited to have it out there. Um, you know, when I, when I decided to write it, uh, it was like starting another expedition. And it you know, we're at now five and a half years since, since our, uh, South Pole expedition. And, you know, it really became like a, my next, you know, next big quest. And honestly, it took the same skill set. So <laughs> as we're talking about all these things, you know, depending on what you want to do, right. it's, it, it's a labor of love and it's, it's an endurance event. Oh my gosh. And to me, it's like, um, when you're writing it, you're literally how? Who am I writing this for? You're, hey, there's our dog. Uh, there's Winston. Winston the dog. dog. Yeah, <laughs> we're almost done. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Come on. Um, that was awesome. Um, so uh, anyway, lost my train of thought there. Um, yeah. So yeah, wrote this book, hoping that I could inspire at least one person to think, hey, yeah, I can go out and do something that I didn't think was possible. I can go out and learn a new skill. Mm -hmm. I don't have to already have the skill to do something. Right. And um, was really excited to really chronicle the whole journey for my son. I thought, who's yeah. who's the reader that I want this book for? And it's my son. 
and then beyond that, I think a lot of people enjoy it as well. I'm suddenly struck by something. June 3rd, the race to Alaska starts, right? Yeah. That's true. So yeah. June 3rd, September 3rd, the book's co book comes out. Wow. That's three months right. in between. You guys met on the third summit of Denali for Marty, and there's three of you that live here. It's you guys and your son. <laughs> we have three uh, teammates by three, on, you have three team teammates on, on the race to on Alaska. The race to there Alaska. might be a lucky number in there. Okay. Might be. <laughs> you, better, you better put that number Maybe on Maybe we end now and go to Vegas and just play threes. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, we'll Let's buy do you it. a yacht to go to Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> guys, thank you. I mean, I can't thank you enough for yeah. doing this. And it was really enlightening. It's okay. so nice just to sit down and, and talk to you. I, I, I know we wish you nothing but the best on, on the race to Alaska. We'll be tracking. Uh, yeah, we'll be following along. And yeah, thank cheering you. loud from here. For awesome. Sure. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Yeah. It's wow. been fun. Yeah. Good luck. Thank well, that, you. that does it for a, a really fun Monster and City podcast. I don't know if anybody's a listener's Troy, but I sure had a good time. So. Well, I'll listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> there's two of us. There's four of us. That's right. There's three of us. That's Anyways, right. <laughs> well, that does it for Troy Nebaker. I'm Mike Ferrari. We're out. All right. Hey, we're post.